Father God, we do come boldly. It's not in our nature to be bold with you, but uh, boldness is in our nature in a negative sense. But Father, you've asked us to come boldly and uh, to the throne of grace. And so we do just that, recognizing that we are not pulling your strings uh, as it were, at all. But uh, in fact, you're working all things according to your will. For us, we're in the very center of it. Your grace is abundant. Your grace is sufficient. Uh, but you've asked us after Thanksgiving to make our requests known. And so we do. We thank you for all things, Father. And uh, we have in mind... Uh, some of the issues that our nation is facing, Father, we only see the uh, surface. We don't know the depths of that, but certainly the many of your enemies, Father, are very bold and very visible, and we certainly see them. We, we pray, Father, that you give our president and those that serve with him who are far from perfect, but who I do have our interests in mind. I pray, Father, that they would be guided and led in a direction that would be a great benefit to our nation and our people. Father, please raise up many in our nation. May they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, having taken him as their Savior and find their lives transformed. There's so many suffering addictions and uh, the effects of those, Father. We hear of the consequence of that uh, often. Father, I, I pray for Israel and uh, their leaders. And we could ask the same request for other countries, too, that we know something about, such as uh, Great Britain. But, uh, Father, there are uh, many issues that... Uh, stand before voters as they go to the polls in these places. So, Father, I just pray that you would guide and lead there, and may your will be accomplished. And, Father, I pray that it will be accomplished here in our group today, too, as we open your word together. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we have the privilege again. I like to say it that way because that's truly what it is. To open God's word together is a privilege. And uh, today I believe we're finishing up this section here, at least this verse. We've been focused in on Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I've been putting a spotlight on that verse because it's so important. Uh, it's uh, just a few number of verses that are critically important for our understanding as we read Philippians, probably the verse that stands out more than anything else is, is there in chapter 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And um, that takes us back before the incarnation began, just before, in heavenly time, the heavenly chronology. <laughs> Um, just before Christ entered into this world bodily, physically, and how he 
considered what that would be. Of course, he had foreknowledge, no question about it. He knew that uh, the plan that had been agreed upon would require great trial and suffering on his part, ultimately death, even the death of the cross. But he willingly offered himself anyway, and uh, he offered himself willingly to the plan that had been agreed upon, that it might be accomplished exactly as it had been written. Remember, <laughs> the plan was written in the books. The books were there in heaven, and they would be accomplished. And uh, so he willingly entered into this uh, time of what um, we have called often emptying, emptying, giving up that which he had in heaven's glory to take upon himself human form. Uh, the motivation that he had there is what Paul is focused on in this letter. Remember, Paul uh, refers to it often, and uh, that motivation that Christ had, which was his love for us sinners, was met by Paul's love for the saints, right? And there were many aspects of Christ's uh, self-sacrifice that Paul emulated. And uh, so that was the the desire of Paul's heart to emulate that even more perfectly day by day. And uh, today I'd like to sort of finish up this section where he writes about that there in verse 10 of chapter 3. Much was sacrificed by Christ and much was sacrificed by Paul. Uh, Paul gave up for the sake of Christ so much and it was even told him on the road to Damascus that that would be his experience. The risen Christ, when he uh, caught Paul up, as it were, even to the edge of heaven and spoke with him, he communicated that Paul's life would change radically from that point on. And uh, so it did. And uh, suffering for Christ would be right in the center of that. Now, there's no way Paul could have known everything that was involved in that ahead of time. Um, someone can tell you if the, if they if they could, but they can't, what your future will will bring, and uh, and you may understand the words. That doesn't mean you'll understand the reality of it. Not until it's experienced, right? I believe that was even true of our Lord, and that's reflected. I think if you, if you look at uh, his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, for example, right. Um, once he took upon himself human flesh, he, he took upon himself great, great limitations in so many ways. Uh, he gave up his unlimited freedom and took upon himself, Paul writes here in this chapter, the form of a slave. That'll be a major focus today in our studies here. So our main scripture is in chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. I'll read it again just so it's clearly in mind. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That verse 11, I hope to... (laughs) What? Sometimes people use the word unpack. Well, I guess it's not so bad. I hope to unpack it a bit next week for you, Lord willing, but we'll see, right? If if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Well, but this verse 10, where we've been focused for a few meetings now, summarizes very much of Paul's life. It became a very personal thing to him that he suffered and that in particular his sufferings were the sufferings of Christ, he says. The fellowship of his sufferings is what he had entered into, right? And of course he suffered persecution, but really don't think it's only that that Paul is referring to by these words. Uh, Many are persecuted in the world. They're not even necessarily uh, Christians. They're not necessarily believers. There's persecution of every kind. Most of it may be religious, maybe not. There's persecution of every sort uh, and discrimination and these things. And many people are even killed as a consequence of it, right? But Paul here is talking about something more specific, I think. Even more specific than persecution because he was a believer. That was not the whole story. There was much more going on. Paul was suffering a special kind of persecution, and uh, that special kind had to do with who he was as the apostle of the Gentiles and what his message and ministry were, namely the abounding grace of God for sinners, right? Uh, So Paul was not only suffering persecution because people thought he was a Christian, That would have been one thing. It could have been severe even just for that reason alone. But he was suffering a special kind of uh, loss, as it were. He even talks about that. And uh, that's really what is the center of the focus here. And, And that's why he mentions the mind of Christ at the beginning there, because Paul desired to have the same mind as Christ. Christ suffered much more than just persecution, because he was uh, uh, a man living the life he led, right? I mean, he was suffering because of who he was and what his ministry was, right? So I think that's really important to understand. Uh, And, of course, we're uh, asked also to uh, enter into these things willingly. As Paul says, let the mind of Christ be in you, right? That's the exhortation for the believers. And that includes us, right? 
So it's really incumbent upon us to understand what this uh, kind of suffering is, what the fellowship of that suffering is, and what else he writes here that is critically important for our comprehension. Uh, the, the outline today is, is pretty simple, but I think it <laughs> he may be a little uh, surprised at how I worded. Uh, first point is that Paul learned that suffering with Christ was better than deliverance. <laughs> suffering with Christ was better than deliverance. It's the first point. Secondly, Paul learned that suffering with Christ was indeed his calling. <laughs> it was his calling. Okay. Thirdly, Paul learned that suffering with, with, with Christ would be his lifelong challenge. His lifelong challenge. And fourthly, Paul's example is for us all. This example is for us all. So what Paul learned is what we should be learning as well. That's really the message of Philippians in a nutshell. Okay. Okay. So first of all, Paul learned that suffering with Christ was better than deliverance. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. This is not the message that you hear in the health is wealth and uh, the miracle <laughs> miracle laden and light show <laughs> dominating and uh, sound system uh, mega churches is that what they're preaching there is a totally different thing they're preaching how to be delivered okay and not how to endure through the amazing and abundant grace of God Paul learned, though, that suffering with Christ was better than deliverance. Uh, and I think that characterized his entire life, even though there was just one specific point in time where Christ said that to him. And we'll look at that in a moment. But uh, there were other many even times in his life when he was learning this lesson. Um, so, for example, Second <laughs> uh, Corinthians chapter 11, um, I'm reading there, starting in verse 30. Now, remember, false teachers abound and they are uh, <laughs> pro propounding, pre <laughs> that's not even a word. They are preaching a message that's false and contradicts the working of God's grace. And Paul responds, right? And uh, they demean him and his character and so forth. And uh, so he sometimes even starts to defend himself and that's what he's doing here. He says, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine victories and successes. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I will glory in the things that concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forever, knoweth that I lie not. Now he brings up an example. He says, in Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me and through a window in a basket I was let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Well, there's no great miracle of, of the jail 
opening up and the prisoner is running free because of an earthquake or an angel or something like this. Seems to me <laughs> what happened is much more like what happened back in the days of Rahab and a couple of uh, Israeli spies who had come to search out the land before the children of Israel were led by Joshua and Caleb into Jericho, right? In other words, it was through weakness that God demonstrated his power, right? So that's what we see here at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Hmm. <laughs> Paul's glorying in this, okay? You see there. So learning humility was central to Paul's education. And I've always found um, that the experience of the apostle, as he revealed in his letters, is indicative of the workings of Almighty God under grace. And aren't we all in the same school that the apostle was in? Each in our own way, of course, but it's the same school, isn't it? In chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse 5, Paul writes again concerning this. In fact, this whole section in the second letter to the Corinthians is about this specific thing, how God was displaying through Paul's weakness his great power. And of course, it's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that's being displayed, right? 2 Corinthians 12.5, of such a one will I glory. He's talking about himself being caught up into the third heaven, right? <clears throat> Road to Damascus. But he doesn't want to say it's him personally. He wants to say it's another person I'm, I'm writing about. He says, of such a one will I glory. Yet of myself, I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. So, Paul's life experiences were the best training ground for what he called learning of the confidence in the flesh and what it means to lose it altogether. Remember, he said, I have no confidence in the flesh. He had to learn that. It wasn't just automatic bang all of a sudden. Oh, OK, we're done. Well, that was true as far as Christ calling him into the faith, right? Certain things were accomplished, absolutely and finally, right? But one thing that wasn't accomplished was the working out of God's grace in and through Paul. That was something he had to learn every day of his life, okay? And he learned not to have any confidence in the flesh, because the flesh, he says, will lead you into religious works, and those will short-circuit the working of the grace of God. So he writes of this, you could call it a basket experience. He writes of this basket experience in his life being led over a wall in Damascus as one of the great events of his life. He's running for his life. And this is how it was worked out, right? Um, well, our second point today is that suffering with Christ was Paul's calling okay and and again um he knew it was from when christ said to him or said to somebody else who repeated it to paul remember paul was blinded and waiting for his sight right 
and and this man had been speaking directly with Christ himself, the risen Christ, and Christ had said, Paul would uh, suffer for his sake, right? And he would learn what the dimensions of that were, right? And so our second point is that suffering with Christ was Paul's calling. Uh, He knew it in his mind, but did he know it in his heart? Now, again, suffering uh, comes in many flavors, right? And suffering with Christ uh, is very different from simply suffering. And there are, I think, at least a billion people in the world dedicated to false religion that calls itself Christian. Many of them do suffer greatly by uh, the hand of uh, Muslims, for example, right? And others. Uh, or unbelievers who are not part of that group, right? Um, they suffer greatly, but they're not suffering with Christ. Only a believer can suffer with Christ, and only a believer who is, in fact, living that life can suffer together with Christ. And I think that should be clear, but it's probably not. Um That there's a big difference between the two is revealed in many places in Scripture uh, where we read that matters of the heart are so, so important. Not outward uh, conformance to some particular standard of a group or religion, but but the matter of the heart is where God works. God works in the hearts, right? Um, And uh, there's a place in Matthew chapter 7 where the Lord says... uh, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and he says, they say back to him, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And thy, thy name have cast out demons, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Even working miracles in the name of the Lord isn't... Uh, something that the Lord is involved in. Those are not his miracles through them. Those are the work of the enemy. Okay? So, naming the name of Christ isn't uh, what uh, determines anything in the end. Uh, But really what has happened and is happening in the heart, that's where it it should be... uh, worked out as uh, God works out his grace in and through us, right? It is a matter of the heart always. Um, So let's uh, have a little reading here. Roy, would you please read for us uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, because that's a place we looked at this last time. It's a place where Paul writes so uh, powerfully about his own walk with the Lord and what he was learning there, right? That suffering was his calling. Indeed. Okay, Roy, Second Corinthians 4, 6 through 11. Well, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. 
We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, destroyed. Always bearing about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in your body, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. Thank you, Roy. So there you see that Paul's calling became clear, even to the degree that he could write there always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Uh, do you find yourself being written about there, or do you feel like, well, that's for some great apostle, but that's not for me? Hmm. Well, we shall see as we go along. I hope you do find yourself drawn into this truth that Paul is expressing so powerfully here. Now, the Lord had revealed, therefore, to Paul that he would be suffering for his sake, but now, in the course of life, he's learning one step at a time what that means, you know, what all the dimensions of that suffering were, what the depth of it uh, would be. And I think those verses we just read are, are uh, some of those that express this so powerfully, but there's another place uh, in Colossians, and Tom, I'd like you to read that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 27, a place where Paul expresses so much more, really sort of put the whole thing in the proper context, you know, what is going on as God works in and through us is grace. So, Tom, please read that for us. who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister, according to dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, about that? Thank you, Tom. Oh, my. Uh, well, there certainly Paul is set apart from the rest of believers because he's the one given this dispensation to manage, right? <laughs> he's the manager, as it were, the administrator of the dispensation of the grace of God. And part of that involves fulfilling, he says, or, or completing the word of God. And he certainly does that. He reveals, then he, as he says there, the mystery, which had been hid and was kept secret, right? But now it's time to make it manifest, right? But verse 27 summarizes what applies to all of us, because this tells us what God is doing th uh, through 
Paul, and and now under grace, what is God doing? It says, to whom God would make so manifest to his saint, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. <laughs> oh, my uh well uh this should be stretching your minds and your hearts uh every time you read it every time you hear it read because uh Christ in you the hope of glory i mean we very religiously often think about how oh god dealt in the temple right and or in in the uh the tabernacle and and all of that and nobody was even allowed to see him there and he took up residence there, and only uh, the high priest once a year could go in there. If anybody else went in there, or if he went in incorrectly, be struck dead, right? And we think of God that way. We don't think of Christ in you, the hope of glory, very often, I'm pretty sure. But that is exactly what we need to always keep in mind, okay? Under grace... <laughs> This is what the believer is privileged to know, but even more importantly, to live, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. We possess him. Yes, he possesses us, absolutely, but there's more to it than that. We possess him. He's dwelling in us. He's not dwelling uh, in a building today. He's not dwelling... Uh, in a sacrament today, as so many uh, falsely believe, uh, he's dwelling in the saints. We are the temple. We are the temple, indeed. And Christ in you is the hope of our glory. Just to think of it this way, if Christ is dwelling in you, if, if our hearts uh, is where his home is, then what is the end point of all of this going to be? And as we suffer together with him, what will the end point of that be, right? It will be, to use the word, one word used here, glory. <laughs> glory, glory. Okay, so, so there's a great question um, that I think these verses and this truth uh, forces us to ask of ourselves, right? And that question is, will we follow Paul as he followed Christ? Will we imitate him as he imitated Christ? Meaning, taking upon ourselves the very mind of Christ and all that that means. Now, we're going to consider all that that means because he writes of it. Uh, we've already read the verses. He writes of it in the terms of slavery he says he took upon himself the form of a servant suffered the loss of much that was truly and properly his right christ did that in the incarnation and then ultimately the great uh event of the cross right and paul did it as well in giving up so much for the sake of the lord uh I want us to read, and I'd like Linda to read for us there, uh, verses where Paul is told directly by Christ what 
his suffering is all about, right? He needs to see what it really is all about from the perspective of the Lord, right? Uh, he knew a lot about how he was suffering, but unless he knew the uh, meaning and purpose of it, he was at a loss, right? And so the Lord speaks to him. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. Linda? Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will gl rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been com compended for you. For in nothing am I behind the very chief apostle, though I be nothing. Thank you, Linda. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that something? So Paul learns at the hand of the Lord, who's teaching him, right, directly. He, he learns that uh, suffering, the fellowship of Christ's sufferings is better than deliverance, hmm. <laughs> as I said at the beginning. But he learns it in the course of his life, right? Here he is uh, suffering so much that he's calling out to the Lord, 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 would you please deliver me? Remove this thorn that's constantly uh, in my side, right? He doesn't tell us what that thorn was. We would speculate if we were to talk more about it, what it was exactly. But uh, whatever it was, it was ever so great. And uh, Paul called out, here it says, three times. I, I have to take away from this that the Lord didn't um, expect Paul and Paul <laughs> felt like it was improper to continuously be calling out for deliverance from this specific thing, right? It says three times, okay? Um, and that was the end of it. The Lord shut it down, right? Paul didn't apparently call out for deliverance again, at least not from this particular uh, thorn, right? Because the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in weakness, in your weakness, Paul. And so Paul draws the conclusion that deliverance is not as valuable and not as important to him as suffering together with Christ. So that's the bottom line here. Now, the power of Christ may rest upon him, it says here, if only he will glory in his infirmities. Okay, And so he takes pleasure. Now, when you read that, do you feel like, well, this is for another time, another place. It isn't for me. I hope not. Uh, what do we have in this light, life but many trials, tribulations, much uh, suffering? And if we could just understand that the Lord is working all things together for our good, even throughout all of that, right? 
and uh, that therefore, through our weakness, his strength might be made manifest. Uh, that's really, there in verse 9, a summary of Paul's entire message on how God works under grace and its fullness. Uh, that's how God works. He works through our weaknesses to uh, demonstrate his glory and power. Okay, so let's take that to heart. Now, um, in another time, another place, uh, another dispensational framework, it might have been very, very different. Uh, even early in Paul's life, it was very, very different. Uh, but later, uh, as the miracle signs and wonders that were for Israel's sake as they passed away, uh, it became more and more obvious that God's uh, abundant grace was going to uh, characterize rather differently, differently the lives of his people than in previous times, right? So many trials are then therefore at the heart of God's working under grace. And uh, I could ask at this time for your testimony. I won't. I know that there would be some where you would gloriously proclaim and testify how God used your weaknesses to manifest forth his strengths. Our son Jonathan used to do that quite often. Okay, our third point today is that um, Paul learned that suffering with Christ would be his lifelong challenge. In other words, it was not only going to be for a short time or for a while, but it would continue on, right? And and he learned that that was going to be uh, essential to his life in ministry because through that, God uh, revealed his power and his grace, okay? Now, there are words Paul uses here for this in verse 10. I've waited to get to until now. Those words are, right after he mentions the fellowship of his sufferings, he says, being made conformable unto his death, okay? Okay. Uh, now, Paul is referring to his own life here. You know that. And it's made clear here in this letter and also in these other places we looked at, right? So the power of Christ's resurrection is intended to be seen and known in and through us in our life process, okay? So these words, being made conformable unto his death, are Paul's summary of how that is working now um those words are big words i mean I, I i think it's not incorrect to just respond to these words with sort of total awe considering that oh my if only i could understand this better but do you realize that in desiring understanding of that you are actually desiring to enter into the sufferings of Christ. And that's what he says here. The fellowship, fellowship means sharing, right? To sharing. Sharing in the sufferings of Christ, being made conformable unto his death. Now, we all know that we may or may not be martyred, but even if we were, 
it wouldn't be the same death that Christ suffered, right? So in what sense can this be true, as Paul has written it here, being made conformable unto his death? What is Paul talking about? Okay, notice that the that clause being made conformable unto his death, that's adverbial. It reflects back on what went before, right? He, what went before, he mentions coming to a knowledge of Christ that's deeper than he had ever had before. He mentions the entering into the fellowship or sharing of his sufferings. Now, these words, being made conformable, right? So this is talking about the work of God in Paul, right? Being made conformable, it's passive, okay? And the one acting is God himself. He's acting on Paul and in Paul. Uh, and that's what Paul is referring to here, being made. But what is the Lord doing? He's making him <laughs> conformable to the death of the Lord. Okay. Now, as you might expect, this is going to dominate. This thought will dominate the rest the rest of this letter. Okay, this is really now going to be in the center of Paul's mind as he continues on through the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4. Okay? There were many who had come into the Philippian assembly, it seems, after Paul left and had not been teaching what Paul's teaching here, but something else altogether that divided the brethren and so forth and gave them fleshly and carnal hopes. Uh, but what Paul is trying to do here is to get them back on focus. And so what he's really thinking of here is what he has stated earlier, when he mentions the mind in chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The form of a servant. Uh, that word for servant is the one that uh, means a bond slave. Okay? A bond slave. That is a person who is completely owned as property by another person. Okay? Slaves were owned. They had no rights and privileges at all of their own anymore. In fact, they might even die the death of a cross. That was not something a Roman citizen would ever be subjected to. But for a bond slave, absolutely, right? They died uh, in shame uh, on a cross occasionally uh, in those days in the Roman Empire. Okay? Now, Christ gave up the form of godliness that he had in heaven's glory, right? And he took upon himself the form of a servant. This word for form and conformable, conformable unto his death, is derived from the same root Greek word. It speaks of the outward appearance perfectly reflecting the inner reality. Morpheo is the, the verb. It means that you would outwardly express perfectly what's true inwardly, okay? Now, many times, due to hypocrisy, we don't do that, right? You as a believer may not be doing that, 
what you are internally is what God has accomplished in you, right? What do you demonstrate outwardly? It's imperfect, right? It's tarnished. There's never perfection there, right? Uh, so this, uh, the form of godliness is not something that can be found in us all the time. Uh, from time to time, yes, as we, not with hypocrisy, but, but uh, uh, with uh, total uh, openness uh, to the world of who we are in Christ comes forth, right? When that, when that process is at work, then uh, people see Christ reflected in us. Otherwise, no, right? Uh, so the word conformable talks about being made together in such a way that what's true on the inside becomes visible on the outside. Being conformed, though, unto his death, the death of a slave? <laughs> what is that all about? Well, it's simple, really. It's simple. It's when you have the mind of Christ, then outwardly you'll be reflecting the light of the glory of God's grace. Okay? In other words, what's coming forth will shine forth what is true within. No hypocrisy at all there. Okay? And this is something that we should aspire to. Paul says here, this is the purpose of my letter, right? That you believers would, in fact, comprehend this. So it's it's one thing to offer oneself to God, but it's another thing to find that sacrifice acceptable. Because it's an issue of the motive, right? It's an issue of what's going on in your heart. Many actually join monasteries offering them selves, even their bodies, to God, right? But don't forget, this is true in, in uh, religions that don't name the name of Christ either, right? Uh, what are they doing? They're sacrificing themselves for the the goal that they think will be acceptable, right? But the Lord God has a far higher standard, right? He doesn't accept all of our sacrifices because they're not all purely offered. But if we have the mind of Christ, they will be purely offered. Uh, there are commentators who uh, describe this very well. I'll just read from one, just one sentence. He said, The agony of Gethsemane, of Gethsemane, not less than the agony of Calvary, will be reproduced, however faintly, in the faithful servant of Christ. Okay? So, uh, there will be a reproduction. So the light of the glory of God's grace can come forth through us, through our words and through our actions. When, what? When we have the mind of Christ, when we take upon willingly the form of a slave, meaning offering ourselves entirely to the will and purpose of Almighty God, right? Now, this is not impossible. It's impossible for you to perfectly live up to that standard all the time, every moment. And Paul didn't either. In fact, he confesses to that occasionally, right? But it's a very possible thing. In fact, it's desirable. In fact, the exhortation is that we would do just 
exactly that. Well, Paul's example is our example as well, okay? And it should be encouraging. Paul lived a life, and he wrote that uh, he is what he aspired unto, which was crowns, right? <laughs> One of them is given a name, the crown of righteousness in Second Timothy, right? Chapter 4. But uh, uh, we also are on the same path. There's no difference there, right? We're on the same path. And it's to reflect the glory of God through the Lord Jesus. And he, in his life, his resurrection life is what we are called to live, right? Taking upon ourselves the form of of a slave, okay? Patty, I'd like you to read uh, as our final words today from Galatians. Um, there are two verses in Galatians that express this uh, challenge so well, and uh, please read those for us. Uh, Galatians 4.19 My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. And Galatians 4.21 Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? Okay, thank you. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. There's that word form again. He says he has doubts about the Galatians. He has doubts about the Galatians. And uh, there should be no doubt about us, though, should there? There should be no doubt about us. Where do we stand in this regard? Where do we stand? Well, that's all I'd like to share with you today. <laughs> I... I hope and trust that we'll be standing well uh, on God's grace and its abundance. Amen. 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 Any uh, comments or, or questions before we uh, close in prayer today? Father God, thank you for your glory and your grace. And may we enjoy it, even though it means uh, suffering together with Christ and being made conformable unto his death, even as a bond slave. We would thank you in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen and amen. Lord bless all of you.